Golf's no different from hockey. Requires talent, self-discipline. Golf requires goofy pants and a fat ass. You should talk to my neighbor, the accountant, probably a great golfer, huge ass. How do you measure yourself with other golfers? By height. It's a very, very special honor. I'm Paula Creamer, and you're listening. Well, we're waiting. Hi, this is Martin Cove, a.k.a. John Kreese from Cobra Kai. And you're listening to Quiet, Please. Let the word go out from here across the land. Let Daddy Noonan uh, approve. Hiya, boys. Nice day for golf, eh? Quiet, please. Oh, you got secrets, eh? Hey, this is Shooter McGavin. You're listening to the... Hey, you guys. Hey, we're trying to have a podcast over here. Oh, 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 oh. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas! He does exist. It's that time of the year once again where we gather around and we gather around the Hinkle Tree. The Hinkle Tree. That's a good one. Of this year, a year of more turmoil. We can find peace on Earth from the Grinch of Hobie Sound by way of Australia, Mr. Greg Norman, and Live Golf. Not even Tiger Woods' Mac Daddy could put resolve to the conflict of the PGA Tour and professional golf. But I am Santa Claus, and I am joined on my panel this day by Elf Andy Hydorn. I'm the tallest elf here. <laughs> like, like Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell. <laughs> exactly. I, I know buddy, him. Brendan I, have, I have the buddy the elf. Costume. I need to put that on. Can you give me a minute? <laughs> Brendan Elliott from Little Linksters and Boston Bob Baldessari. Gentlemen, Feliz Navidad. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. <laughs> okay, That's so good. before we before we go any further, little trivia question. What golf course was the Hinkle Tree on? Inverness. Yeah. Love no. it. How how many how many other podcasters would know that? How many other podcasters are dressing up as Santa Claus right now? Well, that might happen. probably a few, but <laughs> none none of those four you guys would know what the Hinkle Tree is. So, all right, I feel I wait a minute. I feel really conflicted because uh, you know I kind of like John Rom, but I'm going to go right there. We're going to get this out of the way. <laughs> Santa has put him on the naughty list. <laughs> yes, indeed. I am very disappointed in Mr. Rom. I respect the fact that he does something for the money and for his family and generational wealth. But I really feel like that one, like that, like, like stepping in something from Prancer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Shall I, shall I lean in here? I think this would be the moment that we go directly to your live report. Live from, the North Pole, live from the North Pole, Andy Eidorn. Yeah. Well, uh, there's, a, there's a social media account called Freezing Cold Takes. Um, and they would have a field day with this one because they put a microphone in front of Rom's face, as we've all seen by now. And he talks about how, you know, an extra three or four hundred million isn't going to make a difference to him. <laughs> you know, playing three rounds is not really golf. And you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but uh, he certainly did some backstepping here and and uh, and made a move. And 
I don't know. I I uh I was warming up to John Rahm as a golfer and a person for the last several years because when he first came out, I wasn't a fan. So it becomes easy to kind of <laughs> to kind of turn back in that direction for me. Um and again, it's it, it's it's like anything else that we've talked about when it comes to live. It, it's it's one person. Um, does it change the landscape? Uh, kind of, but at the end of the day, it's just one other guy. And I think it's too bad, but, you know, it's the first thing that lives done of significance in a while. Bobby. Well, first I feel out of uh, uniform. I should have my buddy, the elf. <laughs> Costume one, which I wore for my Santa's Open. So next year, you're going to be my Santa in the tournament, by the way. Uh, <laughs> yeah. By the way, I, w I will be dressing up tomorrow bar hopping in New Hope, if anybody's listening. <laughs> oh, you're going to look like Dan Aykroyd in Trading Places. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hopefully I don't end up in jail like Dan Aykroyd in Trading Places. <laughs> So that's a good one. That's a good movie. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, I don't know, you sort of heard her coming down the road, you know, more and more whispers about some big name, and then it was Rom. And then I guess I wasn't overly shocked, and I thought, you know, he, he was talking about, hey, what Sebi did for golf in Spain, and he wants to do this with this money. And I don't know if it sounds altruistic, but I guess everybody has a price, you know. They won over the three or 400 million he talked about. So would it end up being 500? Not I quite sure. I, I, Let's call it the exact number. <laughs> and I, I don't know. I don't know if that ownership in the team really means much, but that was part of the package too, right? Yeah. 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 But now right. that he's got Adrian Arnaud, things are looking up. Saw that. <laughs> And I'll leave the big reveal to Santa about who's back. I was going to say, Brendan, do not, <laughs> no, do not disclose the fact oh. that we found Ogletree. <laughs> I don't want coal my stocking, Santa. You can do that one. I think I just did. <laughs> the biggest transaction in professional sports, you mean? Yes. Yes. Biggest move in sports in 2023. Yep. Uh, so... The team golf thing, I'm going to just say, you know, that was a different spin on it. He's always been a team golf kind of guy, liked it, what have you. And I can actually see, we, we've talked about this, you know, team Adidas, team uh, Callaway, team whatever. If he wants to have team Espana, okay. That's, I, in that sense, I could have some fun with it. You know, the whole live golf thing. But you can't come out and say you're going to play against the best players in the world because if you take Brooks Kepka out of the mix, I'm just going to throw another one. This is DJ, clearly one of the top five, probably one of the top five players in the world, we would say, right? Yeah. Maybe you could debate it, right? When, when, now? Well, that's the interesting point, Mr. Hydorn, is okay. his finishes in 23, T4, T146, T10 in the U.S. Open, T55 at the PGA, and T48 at the Masters. So other than Brooks, 
who was up on the leaderboard, how did Liv prepare him, how is that going to help John Rom? other than $500 million is going to help John Rom? Brendan? I think I think these guys get too comfortable in in well one the money but two like other than other than what we've seen from you could put DJ in that category but definitely from Kepka um, these other guys are just why would you why would you practice what's the motivation to to keep your game up there there's nothing however I think with Rom with him having the ability to play in several majors for the next several years. Um, this The timing could have been good in that respect. And the timing could have been good is too with however things are going to play out. Maybe he knows more than, than we know about how things are going to play out with the tour, but he could, he could sneak in where he's in a year or two playing back on the tour. And then he just had this big payday. So I, maybe I think, I think Brendan that that's, that's a really interesting way to look at it. And, and I've been thinking about it that way as well. And I, I really feel like, like he's going to have the best of both worlds. He's not yeah. going to be tied down to a full PGA tour schedule. He's going to be able to play his majors and he's going to be able to make his money on live. Well, we talked that, about that with Cam Smith also. He, again, he, he yeah. makes the jump right after winning the Open Championship, and and he's locked in for, well, lifetime there, basically, until he's 60, and uh, all the other majors for another five years. Two, yeah. So so he's taking a five-year <clears throat> five year gamble, and he's hoping they'll figure it all out in the next five years. And the, we saw this year that the Ryder Cup question – doesn't matter if you play good enough you know brooks is the example of that there's enough there's enough world ranking points too i i didn't write it down but i looked at it that if these guys finish high enough in those four events they can kind of maintain fairly good standing right yeah and i'm with you alan i i really am on the side of like we we love what's that santa (laughs) Uh, sorry, Santa. We love Ryder Cups and Presidents Cups, and and they don't all have to be, you know, kind of at the same level of intensity. But I mean, we we talked about it a few weeks ago. Looking forward to the Tiger Golf League, and like like to me, live would be great if it were just team stuff, and if it were, you know, eight times a year. So I think I think there's a spot in the world of professional golfer live. To me, the 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 part that's really hard to swallow is them crafting this messaging around the individual part of of live golf, which again, to me, live golf, the individual stuff is is all but worthless, except for the money. Yep. Hundred percent agree. And, you know, too, I I might not have had as much of an issue with this whole concept if if they just presented it as it as it truly is. It's it's fun. It's different. It's not serious. And and then they've made it like they're this big. uh, This big league that can league, whatever you want to call it, that can stand up to the PGA Tour. It's not it's different. So let it be different. Let it be fun. 
Let it be exciting, but don't make it out that it's a serious thing like the PGA Tour and traditional and, and that that type of thing. I'm going to allow our resident historian to chime on that one because I think that is in its right there is the key word. This is a game built on the history of and traditions of the game. And I, I'm all for change or we'd still be playing with, you know, wooden shafts. But they're totally disrupted everything. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, I've said it before, they're, they're the modern day Walter Hagen's out playing for exhibition. Just fine. Histori- historian. Oh, when Walter, the Hag, would drive <laughs> up in his tuxedo. Yeah. And the fancy car. Yeah. And he, he loses the Wanamaker Trophy, the PGA Championship Trophy, somewhere in where, Chicago or Detroit one year. Yeah. Yeah. Right. He's a wicked, wicked, funny guy. Um, yeah, I had this conversation with somebody actually today, Alan, so you're – so like a get ESPN or something. Remember that movie, Mean Girls. Mean Girls. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of movie drops here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there's like the the game, the history of the game, either format, equipment, people. There's always been some disruptors along the way. I think it's pretty ironic because Brennan makes a really great point. Yet as crazy and uh, uh, it's just crazy and bizarre as this is it is still having a seismic major effect on the tour about Jay Monahan looking to, now they want to revolt. They want Monahan to step down as commissioner. You've got the Wells Fargo, you've got Honda. Honda was already going to drop. You've got other major sponsors that are looking for a way out. You've got that one article that said, um, now the tour wants to increase these purses. They're going to start to look at the tournament host, the tournament directors, and you have to get more money over to the players. So less money goes to charity. So I talked to somebody today that normally is a volunteer for a tour event that's in Louisville or a PG championship. And they're looking at that going, well, I would never volunteer again for a golf right. event in the tour because everything going on. So yeah, even though LIB has got some serious issues, it's still having an unbelievably incredible effect, bad effect on the tour. More players are questioning what's going on. Lee Trevino said in an in a interview, nobody owns the tour. It's a nonprofit. He was really critical. He's, he's scared about what's going on. This thing's having major, major ramifications, even though a lot of people look at it as a kind of a joke of a thing. Yeah, but let's, let's be real. Like, if they wanted to peacefully coexist with the PGA Tour in the landscape of professional golf, they would have never brought Greg Norman to the table. Right. I mean, like that move in and of itself was an act of war, if you yeah, will. Do you think if you think if they got rid of him that they could reach some type? Of, I mean, I know that was apparently on the table, but do you think that if he went away today, do you think that they could find a pathway to to unification if they even want to have you type of some type of unification? I think the players do. Well, yeah. you know, he's been on our show before, Alex Maselli. You know great journalist, he wrote an article about how bad Monahan's done and all the missteps he's done. And going back to, to literally step one, day one, if you just would have had a phone call, and I said this before on our on our show here, I'm, I'm, I struggle to find out. I know the Norman issue. I've known that, you know, we've all known that for decades, but even if it was under the guise of, oh, look, I made a phone call and I tried, I just think it, 
it frames things a lot different, at least early on. But Monaghan's really made a lot of bad steps. And in the beginning, you know, even if you would, if it was a 22-second phone call and it was F you, F you, you know, I just, it's least still it's amazing. An attempt. Yeah. And I, that's always, you guys have, have been in business in this industry forever, but anybody in any business understands that, you know, if, if, if you communicate, you can solve a lot of things. And I just don't think like you said, Bobby, that, that this started off, it, it started off very poorly from the beginning and it's spun out of control. And it would have been interesting. Yeah. I, mean, I agree with Andy or Alan, whoever, or I'm sorry, Santa, um, <laughs> uh, Santa baby. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm sure, yeah. Norman's the guy he's going to stir the pot. He was put in that spot. But I just always thought how you could have that could have backfired if Monahan took a different initiative on this thing. And again, it might have just been all BS. But I, who knows? That's water under the under the dam, under the fourth pole bridge where the ball goes hooking in. Yeah, remember this too that that the characters involved were part of the problem as well. You know, beyond Greg Norman, like like. I forget what tournament it was. Sergio was was searching for his ball. Yep. It was Wells the, Fargo, wasn't it? In the penalty area. Might have been. Yeah. Started cursing the rules officials, saying he couldn't wait to leave. And then, you know, jackass Phil with all the stupid shit that he was saying. You know, it it, it just it, it was combative from the start. And I I am I'm a huge supporter of, of Jay Monahan and, you know, hindsight being 2020, is it possible that, that he made some missteps? Sure. Um, but you know, who is to really know what the, the kind of the adversary was in this whole thing and how strong it was. And so it, it's, it's hard for me to, to pass judgment on him, you know, after, after the fact, yeah, it's easy to say you should have done this and you should have done that. But, um, you know, I, I have a hard time putting a whole lot of blame on, on Jay Monahan. So here's Andy, here's, sorry, sorry, Brennan. Do you think that, Brooks comes out this year again as a stone cold assassin, or was he just trying to prove something after full swing after the split? Is he just like, Hey, I made my mark. I'm still the best, one of the best. I, I think they all would like that. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, so I'm going to tell a funny story. So back in the day, I was a member at Haverhill country club up in Massachusetts. And there was this guy, Norman Turdugno. And Norman had a bag that says Dillygaff on it, right? And Dillygaff stands for, do I look like I give a bleep, right? And uh, <laughs> tell me tell me that some of those players aren't, aren't that. Like Dustin Johnson, tell me he's not that. Like he cashed out, he made his money. He, he you know, if he's competitive, great. If he's not, great. I think there's a handful of people like that, but I think in the case of someone like Brooks, Brooks has a real passion for the game and for his place in the game. And uh, I think there's some others there like that as well. Um, 
but <laughs> there's a lot of dilligaffs too. Do you really think, Brandon, there's guys, any of the other ones that are there right now that care about their place in the game? Um, it's hard to say. I'm, I, can't, I can't think of a one. I, I, I like Bryson, and I know people don't like Bryson, but I, I watch his YouTube channel, and he's gotten, he's gotten pretty uh, proficient in putting out some good YouTube stuff. Um, and you, you can tell that he still works hard at his game, and, and um, he, he talks about and mentions the, the accomplishments that he's had. I think he might be somebody that that cares a little I, bit. Yeah, I would agree with that. I can see that. Um, but he's like I, I want, and I I'm not a Sergio guy, but he had Sergio on, and they did a one club thing for nine holes. Um, and you know, as much as I don't like Sergio, I kind of miss like he's a personality and there's a lot of those personalities guys that we could Monday morning quarterback about even the ones we don't like, like Patrick Reed or, or Sergio, it's just kind of sucks that those guys aren't on the tour anymore. It really does love them or hate them. Yeah. The whole thing, the whole thing sucks yeah. and it gets back. This is my, my whole beef with live is it's you're competing against untethered money, right? So yep. that part really sucks. And the fact that Liv exists, the fact that that all those guys are not competing on a weekly basis on the PGA Tour, that sucks. It it lessens the product. Yep. No, no. If you could roll that back, Alan, or roll back or roll ball back. I'm trying to I'm not as good as you for these segues, but when you were I talking about, did, I see what you did there, trying to steal my thunder. <laughs> it's oh, there for the taking. I'm going to get coal in my sock. Yeah, I already said that Norman was the Grinch. Don't, don't, don't be the Grinch. <laughs> Do we have rollback news? Is that what you're trying to say, Bobby? Uh, just commentary from everything I'm reading more and more on different social media forums. You know, the, the usual out there and. Um, you know, it's, uh, I, I was reading something that was really interesting. Um, and it came from sort of one of those letters to the editor type of thing on one of the emails and, you know, just seen a lot of people out there that, um, and maybe it's after the fact, as far as now the words out and now it's, it's there, um, that, and again, this is probably a little anecdotal, but, um, the idea of like, Hey, I don't care what you do to the golf ball. I, I hit it 180. If I hit it 175, I don't play by the rules. I literally want to go have fun. I want a cold beer. You know, I have enough golf balls because I find them on the side of the, of the the holes and I and I put them into play. And, you know, you just wonder how many millions of golfers are like that. Um, you know, I started thinking with the this whole thing about the ball going further. And they, I, I wonder if, they, if a tour event could go to – a setup that was from like 1975 and agronomically a golf course is, is so light years and universes away from 1975, the way the bunkers are right now, the bunkers are so manicured. It's a joke on the tour um, to begin with, but the fairways are so firm. The fairway now is like the putting greens of years ago. Yeah. Uh, it's so firm. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into this. I know it's easy to look at the golf ball, but 
I mean, the agronomy and what you see on the tour, that they work 51 weeks a year for that one week and they prime that course. And it's really artificial conditions to, to a lot of regard. I mean, I've never played in a tour event. I've walked out there. I've been to the championship, PGA championship, different championships, walked the fairways. I mean, it's crazy. It, it, the conditions are so abnormally amazing. It's, yeah, no wonder the ball is just rolling out and it goes so far. I mean, I just got to thinking, yeah, wouldn't it be interesting to, to have conditions to go back, roll the conditions back, not only the golf ball back? I, I totally agree with, with where you're coming from there because, you know, it, it just, it, it's just become a synthetic environment, you know, where yeah. if things aren't perfect, Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah, things aren't perfect, Andy. You you froze. Well, I was just Santa, going to dude. say I was gonna say I really appreciate him freezing um, in my honor for being here. <laughs> I mean, it's warm down here from the North Pole. But Brendan, Did I freeze? Well, if, if you froze. This is thought, Brendan. Let me just say I also appreciate you having a blizzard. I felt more at home here this week <laughs> while we're on air. <laughs> So, oh, Andy's back. <laughs> yeah, let me let me continue trying to make my point here. So, when I was in the UK last year, we had the opportunity of playing some of the best golf courses in the world: Troon, Turnberry, Birkdale, Lytham, and St Anne's. I mean, it was it was awesome. Um, and the one thing that that just struck me were the bunkers. Um, and to your point, Bob, you know, like they have these cheap ass shitty wooden rakes with like like you know kind of tines that are like three inches apart on the on the rake head and and basically people go in and they slap 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 that's how they rake the bunkers over there so when your ball rolls in a bunker you know it's it's wavy it's uneven it's like but that's a bunker right and now to your point when when you look at tour conditions and the bunkers aren't exactly perfect, the perfect type of sand, like everything is is how they like it, they bitch about it, right? And exactly, and that's a well. You and I grow. We all grew up with. I used to say, "Isn't that a hazard? Is that not a hazard?" Now a penalty area, right? I guess, but like that, it's a pen. It's supposed to be penal if you right. go in there. But now you have players that say. They aim for the bunker because they want to be in the high grass or on the green. I mean, if, if you just let the bunkers go, I mean, there's so many things that could help the game of golf, but everybody looks at the tour. Yeah, I guess the Nationals, I guess the National, but these course budgets could be a lot more manageable, cost-effective yes. for the golfer. Yep. My goodness. I mean, it's a penalty area. I mean, give me a break. Bobby, that's that's funny you say it because – when when Bryson won at Wingfoot, we had uh, Kyle Peters on, and he was giving us the scoop from inside the ropes. Kyle Peters, tour caddy, by the way, guys. Um, anybody that's out there listening, and he he was literally saying everybody's aiming to miss. They're going to aim to miss in the bunkers because they did the math and he said that's about a half a half a stroke penalty as opposed to a stroke stroke and a half penalty out of some of the deep rough that was at Wingfoot. And then there was Bryson that just hit everything past it at that time, but. And gouged out a wedge, but 
yeah, you're up. You're 110 percent correct. I talked to a ball representative today who remained nameless to protect him. And he's just sitting there shaking his head going, does that this isn't going to solve the problem. All it's going to do is make all the ball manufacturers go through, jump through all kinds of hoops to create, you know, new lines and everything else. Yeah, that's bullshit. They're already there. They've been they've been preparing for this. They already have prototypes. I mean, it's it's just a different spec that they're making their balls to. But the same things that make a Titleist ball different today is going to make than a Callaway or a Strixon or Bridgestone is going to make them different then too. So I, I think that's horseshit. Well, I still believe that the, I believe that it's because you have greater athletes swinging the clubs at harder speeds yep. than ever before. And they'll figure it away. They'll figure out a way to continue to obliterate the golf course w- without, regardless of this change of the golf ball. It's not going to, the only people it's going to hurt are the amateurs that f- do follow the rules. That's the only people it's really going to hurt. Yeah, I mean, again, like, are they obliterating the golf courses now? This isn't about not scoring. really. It's not no. about scoring. This is this is all about like like slowing down the freight train of the ever expandable golf courses, right? And there, there's all these other things that we talk about that have to do with conditions and scoring and this and that and and you know fitness and all that stuff but let's just slow it down so that you know the golf courses can take a breath and not figure out how they have to add another 400 yards every five years i will say this i brought up bryson's channel before and he's been with rick shields the last week or so doing a whole bunch of stuff between the two of them and Rick Shields had Bryson play three holes with some gimmicky clubs, like uh, those very super small headed uh, irons and driver that's like the size of a golf ball. Yeah. Um, or the Hammer X, everybody, the famous boom after you hit the Hammer X. Yeah. Bryson shot one under for the three holes with these gimmicky clubs. So, you know, that's a good point there that the technology sure helps, but these guys are going to find a way to, to put the ball in the hole that that's what makes them good The the equipment does help but that's not why these guys are good it's because they're athletes and they're the best golfers on the planet and that's not going to change brendan did you make it over to the pnc santa i did not because the weather looked like crap but you know i put it on facebook and a lot of people applauded my decision to go pick my daughter up at the airport for the Uh, her first christmas coming home from school so i think that's that's justifiable without question i'll put you man i'll put you back on the nice list i would have loved to gone out sunday but i had to teach on sunday so um i'm surprised they got the round in i really am on saturday because it was bad down here i think they picked up I don't know if they tell said on the telecast how much rain they got there, but we had four inches at, it, at my course, so it, it rained pretty bad. Inevitable question is, anyone, is is uh, little Mr. Woods too cocky? 
Confident. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody want to broach it? Anybody want to talk or just wave goodbye? I'll start. Yeah. <laughs> he he uh maybe, but he's he's a 14-year-old kid who's got the best one of the best golfers ever to live is his father. And I don't think I think Tiger's doing everything right by Charlie. I just think Charlie's a typical 14-year-old kid. And he knew he knows he's on TV and he thinks he has to be more than he has to be. Um, I, I do think, and I know Andy doesn't agree with me, but I do. I was very impressed with the progression that he's had the last couple of years. Um, the speed that he showed this year, Andy, you did make some great points in our chat that there's like, he, he, he's too obsessed with being technically perfect, but that's all kids at that age. Like yeah, all I've, kids ne- at that I've age. never, I've never seen that before. I, I was just right. commenting because he seemed like he was, you know, kind of all jumbled up in his brain about his golf yep. swing. I and, agree. And look, I don't, I don't have anything at all negative to say about Charlie. I was, I was saying on the chat that, you know, kind of there's a long way to go between where he's at and being yep. a successful tour player. It doesn't, it doesn't happen automatically. Um, so I was just kind of tempering expectations there, but I, and I don't, I don't have an issue at all with how he acts on the golf course. I, at all, to your point, he's Tiger's kid, right? Yep. And, and he does a lot of things that Tiger does in terms of mannerisms and reactions and things like that. And you know what? I think that's all great. Um, so I, I'm a, I, so I love the, the I other, love the other side of it is then is he being held to unfair standards as a 14 year old kid by, 100%. by, yeah, by everybody, not, by, by the everybody. media, by us. Yeah. yeah, of course. But we did that. We did that to Jack's kid. Uh, yeah, and Gary Nicholas Blair's kid. Yeah, yeah. Yep. and Johnny Miller's kid, Stadler's and, kid, all yeah, of them, all of them. We just want yeah. that to happen. We want that next generation to, and and that's the great thing about the PNC is, is all of us, all of our fathers played golf, and, and I'm sure Bobby's swing looks a lot like his dad's swing. I know I swing a lot like my father. And it, that's the cool part to me about the PNC is seeing that, seeing the similarities in the kids and the in the parents. I don't swing like my father. I was going to say, I'm thankful I don't swing like <laughs> my father. And I have no problem saying that because a couple of weeks ago down in Thanksgiving, my dad wanted to listen to our podcast. He listened to about like a minute and a half and he shut it off because he was bored. <laughs> so he's not going to hear anything about this. <laughs> it was I thought it was interesting that that leaderboard was it's all the quote unquote older guys, all yeah. the old I mean the first what six, seven, eight names and then longer wins. I just thought that was really fascinating. I mean, obviously those guys still have game they're playing champions tour and all that, but um that was pretty interesting. I think it's because the kids will be older. I think the kids are more mature in yeah. those cases. Um, you know, and the kids, the kids are really kind of the the major variable in that in that tournament. You know, yeah, yeah. Just speaking of this, you know, father son thing, especially for me, and I want to be careful. I word this like 
yeah, my dad wasn't on the tour. I we never played in the PNC and all that. But me growing up at a private club, my dad being the PGA head for two different places, Florida and, and Massachusetts. For me, it was a little bit like walking on eggshells. I had to be perfect all the time. I felt with etiquette, politeness, playing the course. Like I always felt everybody's watching me. And I don't know if those kids are the, you know, it's not a really good analogy or, you know, I don't know, something like that. But no, but, I, you but know, I think is, that. Well, I think of that when I'm watching that and going, I wouldn't do, I wouldn't do half of the stuff they do. And I know it's generationally way, way different, but, um, you know, I'd finished around one time, came in and my dad would go, uh, what did you do on 13? Were you, you know, the word gets around the club type of thing. So, you know, I, I have empathy to some degree about like living in the fishbowl at the private club, everybody's looking at you, you know, that's, that was real to me growing up. Well, that's why I love what Harrington had to say. He yeah, says it so. makes them soft when they grow up in the country clubs. Um, but his message, what he said was was right. I mean, there's just and I see it as a coach of kids that there's just too many parents still. And we've we've tried to message this for a decade, probably um, that they the parents just don't understand that this is. B, why don't you re just recap, though, because I'm not sure everybody heard. It, it was a great message that Harrington passed along. Well, he, he just said uh, the biggest, the one line in there that I loved more than anything was you can't be good at this game without loving the game first. And I see that with so many kids where the parents push, 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 and then they lose love of the game. And that that's the most heartbreaking thing for me is seeing a kid who's really talented they stopped playing or giving a shit because they got pushed too hard. You, you can't do that. Who's going to spend, you know, four or five hours a day practicing if they don't love the game. That's insanity. I'm not saying you're, you're wrong because you have way more experience at this than I do, but I, I kind of wonder that the parent effect, I don't know. Sometimes I think it may be, kind of benign like some parents push some parents don't but i think the love for the game comes from the kid and you you can't give it to them and you can't take it away i'll give you a something roundabout of what you're you're saying andy there are some really good parents out there that do everything they're supposed to but the kid builds up the expectations uh, like they want to please dad like especially if the dad's a single digit handicap or he played competitively, the dad could be doing it everything the way they they're supposed to as a parent and being a fan of the kid and not pushing them. But the kid will build that up in his head anyways about, you know, I want to do this for dad and mom. And, and that's, that's almost as bad as, you know, a pushy parent. Yeah. So my, just to finish up this topic then. So my text in our little group about when I was on number 13, it says, I hate effing golf <laughs> and the <a> transmission. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> but yeah. you don't, you don't, none of us do. I did at that moment. You just need the beverage, you need the beverage cart. You just need the beverage cart. At that moment I did. And I, and I felt it and it was real. It was. I embraced my feelings. Yeah. How many times have we all said we're going to quit? Never. 
Okay. I never no. No. Okay. I then I I I, I have. <laughs> All right. Well, we're, I tell you what. We're gonna go to the heat miser. Okay. We're gonna bring up the heat miser. Andy's gonna be on the hot seat this time, and I'm gonna conclude with one other thing before we go to the 19th hole. So, Bobby, I'm yep. Mister Heat Miser. I'm Mister. That's a reference to a. Never mind. Sick. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. That's a classic. All right, Bobby, it's all you. On the hot seat, Andy Kydorn. You want I'll me to it. take the way? Right. You, Brent and I, we'll... we'll uh, oh, you're tag we'll team yet. You're tag you team. Want, you want odds or evens, Bobby? Uh, I'll go odd. All right. Okay, you ready, Mr. Hydron? I am ready. What is your lowest 18-hole score in a competitive round of golf? 65. Did you beat right. me when you shot that? Most likely. Andy. Andy, what are your free your three favorite golf courses that you played? Um, I can't believe I didn't even prepare myself for these <laughs> questions <laughs> since I wrote them. Um, I would say uh, Marion uh, is definitely my favorite. Um, I would say uh, Pebble Beach uh, is also up there. And uh, I'm going to throw a little curveball and say Saucon Valley Old Course. Ooh, nice. Two PA, two nice PA shout outs. Appreciate that. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. Uh, what are the three courses that you have not played that you would like to play? Augusta, Shinnecock, and Cypress Point. That was easy. Right on the tip of your tongue. Yeah. Three best golfers of all time in no particular order. So Jack and Tiger. Um, and I would say the third one, I'm going to say uh, Sam Snead. I like that. Nice. What is the best part of your wonderful golf game? Putting. Uh, it's It's been putting. What skill is the most important to playing good golf? I think uh, having club face control. You know, having the the innate ability to understand where the club face is, and you know, I think as we all play, we we make these split second adjustments in the golf swing, and it's all centered around you know your awareness and control of the club face. Lovely. like that. Uh, who's your favorite golfer, past or present? Can't pick me. <laughs> okay, so I'll say I'll say Alan DePew then. <laughs> Santa. My my favorite golfer of all time, um, I'll give you a, a past and a present is Jack Nicholas and Rory. Interesting. Uh, give us a quick description of the best shot that you've ever hit. Time, place, situation. Okay, so every year I go up to New Hampshire 
now it's in Vermont and play in the the Tommy Keen, which is um, a four ball match play tournament up in uh, used to be at Hanover Country Club in New Hampshire at Dartmouth College. Um, so we're in the finals. We get to the finals. Um, we're one down on the 17th hole. 17th hole is a par five. I got to set the scenario here because this is important to the shot. Um, so the guys were playing. Uh, one of the guys hits it on the front fringe and two. We're one down. You know, it, it's looking pretty bleak for us. I'm 95 yards in. Blind shot. You can only see half the, the flag stick. Um, there's... 40 golf carts circling the back of the green. And I hit a little knockdown wedge. It lands behind the hole, starts spinning back, and you can hear the crowd get loud, get loud, get <laughs> louder, and explode because the ball goes in the hole. Whoa. Uh, so I made the eagle. We we uh got to 18, um, one down and ended up losing, but all things considered, that was definitely the best shot I've ever hit. That was awesome. Uh, let's see. My phone just went crazy. Uh, Want me to get it? Uh, what do you cherish most about the game of golf? Honestly, the relationships that mm -hmm. I've made over the years. It's just, I mean, like I look at these faces here and – it's just the, the amount of quality people and quality relationships that I've made over the years is, is by far the most rewarding thing about the game of golf. In the 19th hole, how many aces? Three. And I've, I had a little 34 year hiatus between number two and number three that I just ended this year. So <laughs> Nice. Very happy about that. I want to throw out a bonus question. Oh, you might as well. So we constantly ask, you know, what our favorite three are. Nine times out of ten, they're world-renowned, they're this and everything else. What's your favorite? Let's give a shout-out to the grassroots guys and the munis and the daily fees. What's your favorite daily fee or muni you've ever played? So – there, I'm going to throw out a few of them. So, uh, and one of them's not there anymore. Another Pennsylvania golf course, but the Hershey Park. Oh my God, that was a good crack. It's a great golf course. Yeah. Uh, we, we used to have the state high school tournament there. Um, so that that's an awesome golf course. Um, and George Wright in Boston, Mass, is another yep. phenomenal yep. track. Uh, and I'm going to throw out Gus Wortham here in Houston as well. That's a, that's a really fun, cool municipal golf course to play. Love it. Love it. So something – so I'm going to transition here. So something that's near and dear to my heart as Santa Claus is for years when back dating back as far as when we were on the radio show was a gift guide for the golf consumer. So I'm going to just quickly go around just a shout-out for our own little historical perspective, what are your gifts, your go-to golf gifts? It's actually even still in the box. Kent Wool socks right here. And I may or may not have purchased myself a Titleist camo uh, uh, knit toque, as they call it, when I was out shopping for everybody else. 
Brendan, what's your go-to Go gift for recommendation this year? Golf gift recommendation yep. for anybody? For anybody. I, I tell you what, I've used a, several different radars um, for coaching and for personal use. And this Rapsodo, um, the new one, the MLM 2 Pro, it's really, really good. And they just did an update. They they had a press release that just went out on it. Um, you just can't for $6.99, you just it's head and shoulders above anything else that I've used. And then you throw the price point in. And obviously you could spend 25 grand on a on, you know a trackman or something, but that's just not feasible for most consumers, unless you're John Rom. But uh I really like this rap soto. So give Give that a look. That's definitely a good thing. Bobby, around the horn here. All right. I'm going to go with uh, give your favorite golfer a gift certificate. Buy them a what's called a playing lesson with your local LPGA or PGA Pro. And go on the golf course and have somebody remind you certain things maybe about pace of play. Certainly etiquette of the golf course ways to play the golf course better or tees you should play from a lot of people get wrapped up in only and only staying on the the lesson tee or the range do more coaching instruction on the golf course you'll be a better player mr Hydorn. so i i would say that as much as we all love golf we all love to uh sit down and have a little cocktail at the end of a round of golf and there's nothing better to mix your spirit with than a great cue <laughs> mixer. I'll be uh, right back. <laughs> ginger beer, tonic water, um, you name it. We got the best stuff and it makes for the best cocktails and the best fellowship. So that's that's my recommendation for a great golf gift. Well, if you never need anybody to read an ad read on that, I can try to... <laughs> <laughs> final thoughts 18th green who's up you oh me okay uh final thought is uh even going back two weeks the team competition that grant thornton yeah. i hope that's the beginning of i think i talked about it before more i've been thinking about it i think it was a fantastic to see the PGA and the LPGA players out there, I sure wish they were more of them. They kept that field limited. Um, but I think, you know, things like that are good and healthy for the game. And when the both players are together uh, like that, the female, the male, um, the last one they had was 1999 with John Daly and Laura Davies. So it was a long time between that. So, um, and then just because you brought it up before, I'm going to say this again, I won't go into detail I did before, but the municipal the municipal golf courses out there, I really truly wish more PGA sections, more places would have their championships at those courses. Um, I'm glad to talk offline to anybody for like two hours to explain exactly what I'm talking about, but they do get forgotten. And there's certainly wonderful, nice courses out there, but those municipal courses are the lifeblood of the game of golf is millions of people learn and get into the game that way across every socioeconomic, um, everything out there. So, yeah, it's just been nice to see. I, I wish there was a U.S. Open on, like, a true municipal track. I mean, that would be pretty cool. B.E.? 
I got two ones. First, uh, kind of off the heels of what Bobby was saying about the Grant Thornton, um, the tournament they had in Australia that Van Stevenson talked about when she was on the show. That was pretty cool to see, too, um, where they had the different divisions. They had the all abilities and then the females and the men. Um, again, if we could do more of that stuff, that would that would be fantastic uh, for the game. And then the other thing is off the heels of, uh, you know, camaraderie and friendship and his answer to what the best part of the game is. Um, you know, I every time I'm out there giving lessons, I'm like those old guys that get to the first tee an hour early. So I sit there waiting for my first student in the cart and I just look around the golf course and all the activity that's going on. And it's just so cool, the relationships that are created on a golf course and even the people that you don't, you know, connect with, but you give a little nod to or say hello to that are there all the time. I mean, all that stuff is just the coolest part of the game without without question. <laughs> That's awesome. Well done. So I'm going to change my hot seat answer to my all-time favorite golfer is Will McGee. Um, yes. I absolutely love everything about that kid i love everything about that family yep i think if if anyone had the opportunity to watch the annika um special they did on the golf channel it, it got pretty in depth about her personal life and how mike mcgee came along and there's just so much love in that family and it shines like like a star um and that kid is the most awesome kid yep i just i just think he is i i just love it you know he was out there he and his mom were crying tears of joy i mean like if, if that's not something that melts your heart then you know you're a grinch so i i just love will mcgee he's my new favorite golfer of all time my, mine is uh, a couple little things. One is I'm just truly continually amazed at, at Bernard Longer that yep. he just he, he just continues to win and he works so at hard so hard still at the game for the love of the game and kudos to you know I know it's not some big major championship but it was it was fun to see Bernard win once again and I'm gonna echo for the third time just. As you gather around, I joked about the Hinkle tree, the Christmas tree, whatever you gather around, you're going to be gathering around with family and friends. I'm looking at three great ones. We miss our little cadet small if he's listening this far into our uh, into this. He's our he's our little elf. So <laughs> we miss you, Christian. But uh, these are the reasons we do the show. These are the reasons that we are in the business. And and that's all I got. And at this point, I'm just going to have a go have a Gardelli chocolate mint peppermint bark and enjoy my enjoy my holiday so that's all i got <laughs> merry christmas everyone. Merry christmas. Merry christmas everyone you only have one opportunity to sell your golf property Shouldn't you partner with an expert that offers you 30-plus years of golf industry experience combined with the reach of a global leader in real estate? Collier's International Golf Brokerage and Advisory Services understands your unique business needs. Whether it is brokerage, management, and consulting, be reassured that the market leader in the business of golf is providing you the real answers and practical solutions you deserve. 
contact Golf Talk Live co-host and Collier's Golf Advisory Services member Alan DePew today at 717-554-8519. That's 717-554-8519. 